In the last lesson, about two weeks ago, <laughs> um, we discussed boundaries and families. Today we're going to talk about boundaries and friends. What you're going to see is a progression here. We go from family to friends, and then we're going to look at, at the end of this lesson, it's starting to talk about relationships. So then next week will be boundaries and your spouse, then boundaries and children, and then they'll go into boundaries and God. If you look at the outline, we're going to talk about types of boundary conflicts with friends. We're going to talk about the four different types, compliant, 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 aggressive controller, compliant, manipulative controller, and compliant, non-responsive. And then finally, we have some final thoughts about friendship boundary conflict that we're going to work through and, and uh, evaluate whether we can salvage friendships or whether sometimes it's best for those friendships to go their own way and your boundaries in your backyard to be safe again. Friendships can be defined as a non-romantic relationship that is attachment-based rather than function-based. If you're reading in the book, they were trying to help you to realize that you go to church and you have relationships, but those are not necessarily friendships. They're function-based. You go to work, you have friends, work, friends at work that are function-based. But friendships are, you and that person have a friendship apart from any kind of function. It's not bringing you together. You call out and say, do you want to get together? Or, hey... I'm going shopping, you want to go with me? Those are not function-based, those are attachment-based. They're relationship. There's something between the individuals. It's non-romantic, it's an attachment. So you'll hear us use that word once in a while, attachment-based versus functional-based. So all of you are functional-based, at least in the present right now, but I know some of you are attachment-based too, so you can be both. You see each other at church, but you have a relationship outside of church. So then we're going to look at, first of all, let's re I reviewed the four basic conflicts types when I went back through the outline, so I'm not going to do that again. Uh, we'll use the boundary checklist that we're going to put on the slides, and we're going to help, they're going to help, this checklist is going to help us to identify the problems, where the problem lies, and then identify whether I can reconcile that situation with my friend or whether I'm going to have to get help, whether I'm going to just have to say it's not going to work, Okay. So the first one is, what are the symptoms? The first question on your checklist is, what are the symptoms? In every relationship, somewhere along the line, there's like a honeymoon part at the front where everybody's, oh, you're so wonderful, I love you. Oh. Yeah, you get all that gooey stuff on the front end. Then somewhere along the line, isn't it true? Oh, I just love the way you did your hair. Oh, I just love the way... You get all that stuff, and then later on you find out, they don't really like my hair. <laughs> It was just a conversation piece. Then you're going to look at what are the root causes of conflict in boundaries. Then we're going to look at what is the boundary conflict itself. And number four, who needs to take ownership? Now we're going to go through every one of these. There's four more on the next slide. We're going to go through every one of these on each one of these types because you're probably going to find yourself at some point in time in varying relationships that are similar to all four. I think what's interesting, did anybody pick up on who's in all four of them? The compliant individual is in all four of these. The compliant person is in all four of these. And that's because they have struggled with saying no. So the other types tend to utilize that and take advantage of it. Question number five is what do they need? Number six is how do they, do they begin to deal with the situation, the conflict? 
Number seven, how do they set boundaries with each other now? Now that we're aware of the problem, what do we do? And that's number eight, what happens next? So let's look at number one, conflict type number one. You have two compliance. Neither one wants to say no to the other. If you remember in the book, it was about Tim and Sean, I think. They both started talking about where they wanted to go for the weekend. They wanted to do something together. But neither one of them would speak their mind about where they really wanted to go and found out after they were on the trip that neither of them wanted to go on the trip they were on. And that's because nobody was willing to say, this is what I really want to do, and then adjust and negotiate what we're going to do. Both were focused on not upsetting the other and end up neither is happy with the outcome. So on question one, what is the symptom? The symptom is there's conflict and there's dissatisfaction. Because when they both found out in the very end that neither one of them won that trip, they were kind of angry at one another. They were angry at themselves. They were angry at each other. Because if they had just been honest, they wouldn't be spending this whole weekend on a trip neither one wanted to have. Number two, compliance are so focused on keeping each other happy they won't say no. The focus is, I can't say no because then they won't want to be my friend. Or it'll cause a problem that will ripple into other parts of our friendship. They politely deny their own boundaries in order to keep peace. They politely deny their boundaries. In other words, I don't really want to go on this canoeing trip. I would have rather gone to hear that concert. That was, I think, the scenario they gave. But they were very polite to each other. You know, the, uh, yeah, your hair looks nice. Well, theirs was, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun. Going back and forth, underneath thinking, yeah, but I'd have more fun. So am I really being honest if that's the way I function? I'm not really being honest. After a while, that dishonesty builds up, and then I become dissatisfied in my relationships. I become dissatisfied with myself. I'm unhappy that I can't. I know the problem is there, and I don't know why I can't fix it. Number four, both need to take responsibility and admit their tendency to attempt to control the other with appeasement. You know, they're both at fault. And that's usually the case in any relationship conflict, any friendship conflict. Both are usually at fault because there's no level of honesty between the two. I don't know if you're saying, yeah, I like my hair because you really do, or if you're saying, I like my hair to get me off the topic we were on. So you start to distrust everything that's being said. Both need the support of others to help them break the cycle. You're going to hear uh, number five and six on all of these. And this is where we need to, as a body, as a church family, we need to realize that there may be times we're called upon in a relationship not to take sides, but to give honesty to somebody and say, well, you know, you kind of do always say yes to everything. That's the kind of honesty a compliant person needs to hear. If you can't do it, be honest. I can't do it. Or maybe another time. If the friendship is true and the friendship is based on a relationship with Christ, they'll understand but we're somewhere in our ingrained belief system thinking that if I don't say yes to everything, somehow people are not going to like me. Number six, they need to practice setting limits in small matters by being honest about their likes and their dislikes. And that's where as a body of believers we can come into the picture when we're working with people. When I know that somebody is saying to someone else, yeah, 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 we could do that, and I know that person's got commis- commitments at the wazoo, 
Maybe I need to say to that individual, are you sure you're going to be able to do that? I need to help them realize that maybe they need to set a limit here and say, you know what, you're right. I have all these things that I need to do. There's no way I'll fit that in there and actually enjoy any of it. Number seven, face-to-face -face honesty is needed to establish what real boundaries need to look like without the fear of losing the relationship. Face-to-face -face honesty. That is the only way whether you know, whether you know that relationship is going to move forward or whether it's going to come to an end. Because if the honesty is something that's totally going to set the person I'm in the friendship with, then it's probably not meant to be because our relationship was based on falsehood. It was based on me always giving in and that person not, not you know, helping out. Number eight, the relationship will either thrive or continue to grow or they may realize they didn't have much in common as originally thought. I've seen this a lot, especially when, when in college, when I was an RA. When when college starts up, everybody's on a high. Oh, it's good to see you. Everybody's running around, patting people on the back. Glad to see you. Da, da, da. You start getting into these groups of all this excitement, and you go on and on and on, and you think you're a part of something. And then a little bit later on, you notice that the group of people you were with are meeting off to the side, and you weren't invited. Everybody was saying, you're such a great person, but you weren't invited. So you see a lot of college, especially freshmen, they'll go through this transition where it's like up and down and up and down because they're trying to find their niche, but all the politeness is covering real honesty. The second one that we're going to talk about is a little bit more of a twist. This is the one that probably most people are aware of because that the conflict is usually more external. It's the compliant an aggressive controller. Now keep in mind, the compliant is the person who cannot say yes. The, the aggressive controller believes that everybody's time is at their disposal. They don't know how to delay gratification. They don't know how to, um, how to um, think about the other person's boundaries. The compliant feels intimidated then and inferior in the relationship. The aggressive controller feels irritated at being nagged by the compliant. Now, here's usually the scenario. Let's do this. Let's do this. And the aggressive controller is the one setting the pace for everything. The compliance starts saying, well, I would really like to do this. Oh, we don't have time for that. Let's do this. We'll do this. But I was hoping we could do this. So you start to see that the aggressive controller is going to feel nagged because the compliance is going to continue to maybe bring up their ideas to say, Can, why can't we do it this way? Why can't we fix it this way? Why can't we paint the walls this way? Why can't we clean the room this way? Why can't we repair the car this way? And the aggressive control is, oh, get over it. Get in there and just take your hands and rip this off. And, don't. and the, it's the compliance vehicle in that case. And a lot of times what happens is the person who asked for the help or maybe the help was pushed on them is feeling like their needs were never met. They felt like, why did I even tell him my car was broke down? <laughs> he just took over the scenario and didn't let me learn anything. The compliant feels controlled and is resentful that he's being controlled. The aggressive controller feels good except for the nagging. So you're starting to see already the controller is not even in tune with the compliance boundaries or needs. 
he's just saying, hey, I got what I wanted, but I don't understand why he's complaining so much or why she's complaining so much. One grew up learning to avoid conflict. You're compliant. The other grew up never learning to delay gratification or taking responsibility for themselves. Usually you have what you call a dominant and a submissive relationship. In friendships, though, if that gets to the extremes, someone's needs are always not being met. And most often we know who it's going to be. It's going to be the compliant. The problem is twofold. The inability of the compliant to set clear limits and the inability of the aggressive controller to respect the other's limits. When the compliant, which in most of these cases, it's always going to be the person who says yes, 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 yes. They're going to eventually feel taken advantage of. They're eventually going to feel frustrated that their needs are not being met. And when they try to assert some boundaries in this relationship, they're going to be told where they need to get on and get off because the aggressive controller is in charge. You're, you're upsetting the apple cart here. This is the way we always did it. Well, that's just not right. Well, based on whose opinion? Based on whose research? Do you really know my needs for you to say that that's not right? So they start to think and act and feel for the person they're in the relationship with. And almost always the aggressive controller is going to look for another compliant if that relationship doesn't work out. They will always find somebody else who will be their gopher, who will be the person that can meet their needs and help them do what they need to do and make them feel good about themselves. Your aggressive controller tends to be a little bit of a narcissist. They only think about themselves. They only think about themselves. The compliant needs to realize he or she is giving up his power as a means of trying to control the other person. That's very important. The compliant needs to realize that part of the responsibility in the conflict is themselves as well because they don't know how to set the limit. And the aggressive controller needs to own his or her difficulty of accepting no as a limit set by others. Oftentimes an aggressive controller will hear your no and say, oh, okay, and then they'll come back. But you know, I was thinking, we could actually do it this way. And they won't stop. They will not stop. They know you said no, but they'll come back until they can talk you into their plan. They don't stop. Usually the compliant is the unhappy one in a friendship. And I think that's in every one of these scenarios. The compliant is the one that's unhappy. And the real reason is because is they don't know how to be honest about who they are or what they feel. They may not understand who they are or what they feel. And the, needs, and the need to, to seek support from others as he tries to clarify his boundaries. They're going to be unhappy. They're going to be talking to people. And I find compliance often will go from person to person to person and trying to get some kind of understanding why they feel so unhappy. But they don't always take in what they're being told because if they change the way they do it, that's really uncomfortable. That's a new pattern of behavior they have to learn, and it's not going to come easily. And that's why, when, as we go through these, number six, I think it is um, practice setting limits in safe environments with other friends. And specifically, one of the safer places should be the church family. If I know that somebody has problems saying no, I need to, as somebody who might be a little bit more 
of a, an aggressive controller, I need to respect that boundary and help that person say, you know, if I make an off offer to them, say it's okay if you don't. If you don't want to do this, it is really okay, so don't feel pressured, and I'm serious. And I've heard some people in here do that. They'll say, can you cover my class, or can you do this, or can you be at uh, Teal Zone for me on, on Wednesday night? And if the person can, it's like, please, don't feel obligated. If you can, and that's the way we need to be in helping the youngers, the younger believers, the ones who are learning to deal with boundaries, we need to be thinking about their boundaries as well as when we're find, trying to meet our own needs. Maybe it's not appropriate for that individual to be put in that place yet. Number seven, the compliant will need to communicate what the boundaries will look like going forward and stick to them when the aggressive controller tries to bulldoze. And I use that term. The book didn't. But that's usually what happened is the, the aggressive controller will try to bulldoze. They'll keep coming back. I know you don't want to do this, but think about it this way. If you do this, and they rethink your thoughts for you, and eventually you just say, I'm going to say yes just to get them off my back. The goal is to protect oneself, not to hurt the other. Whether you're getting your needs met, or whether you're establishing boundaries to determine how the needs will be met, the goal should never be myself only. It should all be, always be us if we're going to have a friendship. What are the needs of both sides? Number eight, if both are open to new guidelines, they can or could renegotiate their friendship towards a safe one. That's if both are agreeable. My experience is the aggressive controller is resistant to having to maybe do more for themselves. And there's a tendency to want to fight the, the new process. That this com The compliant is saying, please, let's change the way we do things. The aggressive controller is you know, sitting there going, why? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the way we do it. Yeah, there is. It's always yours way, and it's always you, when I say no, coming to me saying, but we could do it this way. And if that person won't stop, you're going to have to decide at some point, is this a healthy relationship? Is this a relationship that's honoring God at this point, or is it a relationship that's all about her or all about him? When we go to the compliant, manipulative uh, controller, you're going to see similarities to the aggressive controller. It's just the manipulative controller is somebody who's a little bit more subtle. They don't bully you, but they just kind of make you feel guilty if you don't. One, one can't say no. The other has learned to manipulate others because of their own irresponsibility. What you will find with a manipulative controller is they've not learned to be disciplined. They procrastinate. And at the very last minute, they look for a compliant who will help them get whatever it is they need to get done, get it done. The compliant feels manipulated and resentful. The manipulator gets out of, of an un, another undisciplined situation. The compliant came from a background where saying no was frowned upon. We've, we've established that. Somewhere along the line in their life, they've learned that it's not good to say no to a request. The other comes from a family of origin that always bailed her or him out rather than let that person face the consequences of their actions. You know, and this can be, it's very clear that if you look at family of origins where that can start. 
You know, when the kids are saying, I want candy, I want candy, and you say no. I'll be good. <laughs> that's the start. I'm sorry. That's where it's at. I'll be good if you give me candy. Well, what's that mean if you're, I don't give you candy? Throw a little hissy fit. All right, take the candy and go. I'm starting to establish a little bit of a manipulator here. If I'm not careful, that will carry into adulthood in relationships. Whether it's in college, whether it's in high school, if you want to be my friend, you're going to have to do this and do that and do this. And if you're not, I don't need you. And it's not so much they're aggressive, they're just they're being manipulative in order to be part of this clique, in order to be one of the jocks. You know, jocks don't hang out with those guys. What are you doing hanging out with those guys? That's bad for our reputation. That's manipulation. The, manip <coughs> excuse me, the manipulative controller doesn't plan ahead and uses the nearest compliant to be responsible for him or her. When they come to their senses and realize, I've been enjoying the high life too much and I've got a final tomorrow, they're the first person at the compliance door saying, can you help me study? Why did you wait till four hours before the test? Why had a lot going on? Yeah, so did I. You know, and it's the same way even uh, for church. You know, sometimes things will happen Saturday night. Oh, I want to go to that so bad. I'll call so and so and see if they'll cover my class for me, so I can go to this. You know, they didn't plan ahead. They didn't set boundaries up in advance. Hey, Lori, can you cover Sunday school for me while I go off to the beach? <laughs> <laughs> so oops <laughs> that was planned <laughs> way ahead I said George <laughs> family calls he said okay the compliant will become tired of being taken advantage of again and of and of and realizes saying yes will never end if she doesn't or he doesn't set new limits in the friendship. I missed a word there. And realizes that saying yes will never end what's been going on if they don't set new limits in the friendship. You know, I, I tell people, especially in, in recovery programs, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again expecting a different outcome. In relationships, it's the same thing. If you continue to always give in, your needs are not going to be met. And then you get to the point where you're so unhappy and so dissatisfied that it's like, you know, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So there comes a point where you have to start establishing limits. Start saying, you know, I need to do this, you do this. My wife says Saturdays are mine. The house is my space. Get out. <laughs> She's nodding her head. I'm not telling you anything that's not true. The house is my space. The garden's your space. See you later. <laughs> but we plan. <laughs> the compliant will need some friends to help get the courage to confront the manipulative controller with the new boundaries. The compliant, just like with the aggressive controller, is not going to be able to deal with this by themselves. They're going to probably need to seek some counsel from some older, wiser person that's living the life they want to live and has the boundaries they need to have that will walk alongside of them, that will kind of give them some coaching along the way and say, you know, when things go wrong, well, did you consider this? 
Did you think about this? You know, maybe you should have thought about it a little bit earlier so that that person could have had a little more time to find someone else. So it's not totally the manip manipulative, I'm getting tired of saying that word, <laughs> complier, controller. It's also just as equal on the other side. Both have a responsibility to be honest about what's in their backyard, what's in your fence, what's in your gate, what it is that you need to tend to. And if there's something causing problems there, then I need to move it out. Again, practice setting limits with supportive friends until she or he develops the skills to confront that friend. Rehearse it with your closest friends. You'll have a little bit, I won't say easier, a little bit less resistance confronting a manipulative controller than you will an aggressive controller. There's going to be a lot of verbal backlashing, outlashing on the aggressive person where on a manipulator, you know, they try other techniques like sulking, withdrawing from you, waiting for you to come back and do it their way, and you're, just, you're going to have to stand your grounds. And let's go to number seven. It's always best for the one whose boundaries are being violated to communicate this to the violator and set the tone for future no's. There'll come a point when you decide, I'm not taking this anymore, that you need to tell that person in advance. I'm not taking this anymore. You won't say it that way. You may say, in the future, when you need somebody to teach your class, I, if it's going to be me, I need to know by at least Wednesday, not Saturday night. I need to know by Wednesday. Now, emergencies happen. You get the flu bug, you can't function, somebody's going to have to do it. We understand that. But what you find with a manipulator is they have a tendency that it's always last minute. They're just undisciplined. And people have allowed them to do it all their life. It usually comes out of the family of origin that it's learned. And then usually if both are open and understanding, the friendship will take on a new look and it will actually grow. But just like the previous one, more often than not, it's going to not be the compliant. The compliant wants relief. More often than not, it's going to be the person who has a tendency to take advantage of others who's going to have to decide can I work this relationship? Do I care about this relationship to the point that I want to stay in it and change the way we do this? And then the last one is the compliant non-responsive. This is the one that can become torturous, not because of what's said or not said. It's because of what's not conveyed. It's the silence. One takes on all the work at the other's cost. Sometimes this is referred to as the Mary-Martha or Martha-Mary complex. One friend is busy, 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 and that's how they think they're going to get everything done so that they can show this person they really care about him. And the other person is kind of lays back and then lets her take care of it, lets him take care of it. And then when it's all done and said, this person's resentful because this person didn't say thank you or this person didn't offer to do it differently the next time. So you've got one who's do, 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 and you've got another over here who's just kind of non-responsive. They just kind of go with the flow. Yeah, that looks like a good meal. Let's go join them. <laughs> I don't have to cook then. You know, and that's, we laugh about that because we'll all say that, oh, church picnic, we don't have to cook. That's different. We're talking about someone who tends to feed off of others by not volunteering for anything, not volunteering to help out in any capacity, and then... The other takes over, and because they want that relationship, they do, 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 do. 
One feels resentful and frustrated. The other wonders what the problem is and may be frustrated with the other's fussing and fuming. I don't know why you're so upset. You don't know why I'm so upset. Now, when that person gets to the point where they start to verbalize it, we know it's coming to a climax. And what's happening is the compliant, again, has gotten so unhappy and dissatisfied that the non-responsive person's getting tired of the bickering. They just talk about this and talk about that and whine and carry on. And they're doing it because they're actually feeling like their needs are not met. But this person over here is like, get over it. Well, that's not a godly response in the first place. And a lot of it's because they're not doing what they could be doing. One takes pride in doing all the work and attempts to make the other need them. The other has never had to work hard for a relationship. The other has never had to work hard for a relationship. You know, you hear the statement on sometimes when a, a good-looking young guy or girl, they grow up and they just, they're attractive, and you'll hear people say, they've never had to work for anything. And there is some research out there that suggests good-looking people get by with more than people who might not be classified as good-looking. And I thought that was interesting, and it's because... You know, if they come in and they're so polite and they look really nice and they're just talking up a real flowery story, they get off maybe some of their responsibilities or they actually give them a little bit because, you know, you seem like such a nice guy or you seem like a wonderful girl. Why don't you do this? Here, take this and go. Here's a tip for you. So they learn to use their good looks. They learn to use their personality and their suave so that people will always cater to them. The problem is, if they get in a relationship where the other person is not going to offer that, there's a lot of unhappiness. <laughs> I like being the princess. Why won't you treat me like a princess? Because that's not real life. <laughs> we both have to work if we're going to pay the bills. My mom and dad didn't make me work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. What's that? <laughs> Sounds like her husband. <laughs> Number three, we better keep moving, we're running out of time. One takes on too much responsibility for the relationship. The other does not take on enough of the responsibility. That's the problem. Number four, the one taking on all the responsibility is just as much at fault as the one who's not taking it on enough. Because, again, the honesty isn't there to say, I need your help. You need to help me with this or it's not going to get done. And for the other to say, okay, I didn't realize what all you were doing, so now that you made me aware of it. There needs to be an honesty, face-to-face -face honesty. Both women in this scenario with the Mary Martha complex need the support of the other as they attempt to clarify the appropriate boundaries and what they look like. It's going to take an adjustment. There's going to be some sit-down sessions where when you do this, I feel this. When you say this, I feel like I'm obligated. I can't do it. I'm only one person. They need to practice again, setting limits in a safe environment, whether it's their supportive friends in the church, whether it's family, wherever it's at. Both need to take equal responsibility for what happens in the friendship, and neither should take on the other's responsibility in order to feel accepted. If you're doing things for other people because underlyingly, you may not consciously think it, but somehow you want them to like you, that's starting down a road that's going to lead to dangerous feelings. 
you're going to get hurt. It will either become a non-relationship or it will provide soil for rebuilding a better one. The point here being that when the compliant stops doing all the work, especially the part that's the other person's responsibility, remember what the title is here, non-responsive. They may choose not to do their part in the relationship. And what that means is they're going to go their separate ways. There, there wasn't a friendship in the first place. It was kind of a symbiotic relationship. Some final thoughts about friendship boundary conflicts. Boundary conflicts in friendships are difficult to deal with because the only cord tying the relationship together is the attachment itself. Okay, what do we mean by this? Well, if I work with a coworker, I have to find a way to work with that coworker because I don't have a choice. If I'm part of a board in the church, I need to be able to work with the other people on that board or it's not going to be a successful board. So it's a functional base with an attachment. But in a friendship, there may be no function that brings that person back in line of your, of your life and activity other than the friendship. So that's why there's a little bit more of a fear of if I say no, they're not going to want to hang out with me again because there's nothing that brings us back together again. There is a fear there. And that's why the compliance tend to stew and sit in that relationship so long because they're afraid if I say no, I'll lose the relationship and I don't want to lose it. I may not have another relationship. But if you and I as the body of believers are doing our jobs, we should be able to see and assess those people and make sure they feel inclusive. We should be reaching out to them saying, hey, how's your day going? Trying to establish a friendship to let them know that they are not alone. The number one thing we all need to know is no one is alone, and especially if they have a relationship with Christ. Biblical friendships are based on commitment to love, not just the attachment. If we get real honest and look at what we say when we say we're a believer, when we say we're a Christian, that means you have the love of Christ in you. And if you have the love of Christ in you, and you are reflecting what Christ is like, Christ did not take advantage of people. Christ did not have his goal in his mind set on hurting someone. He was always reaching out in love. And if you and I are in a right relationship with Christ, a biblical friendship will never need to fear there is no friendship anymore. Because what ties you together is the next slide. Choice and commitment are elements of a friendship. I have the right to have choices you have the right to have choices. That's what it's about. Salvation is about the choice to believe in Christ or not believe in Christ. He does not force himself on anybody. He reaches to people in love and they come to him in response to that love and learn that they need to love the same way. Romans 8.1 puts it this way, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We shouldn't, be feel, we shouldn't be feeling punished if we are a believer. Our sins are forgiven. We should be establishing a relationship with Christ. There's no more punishment out here coming down on me. Even if the friendship is in church and I have this fear that I'm going to lose it, you're not going to lose the relationship with Christ. 
You may lose the relationship with that friend if you can't work out the problems because it may not be healthy for you to be in that relationship. So that's something I have to really look at. We need to be in a right relationship with Christ in order to be in a right relationship with others. Because back to what I said, if we profess that we are believers and we know Christ in a personal relationship, there is no way that that's not going to change your life somehow, some way, that you are starting to see the needs of others and respect the needs of others. So that when you set boundaries, the boundaries are set under the guise of biblical leading and friendships. As we stay connected to God, to our friends and to others, we are filled with the grace to hang in there and fight out our boundary conflicts that do arise. You know, we start to look at Matthew, I think it's 18, where it talks about if a brother has fault against another, he's to go to them and make it right. And James, it talks about confessing our sins so that the healing can take place. You know, all the scriptures that you and I should be digesting in our relationship with Christ should be changing the way we think, the way our earthly, humanly thinking was in our family of origin. It should be changing. If it's not, if I'm still acting the same way I am, if I'm still resentful and I'm still a fighter, then I seriously challenge that individual to really look at where's your relationship with Christ. Do you have one? It's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to have a relationship. I, the, Christ said the demons and the angels know of Christ. That demons aren't saved. You and I have to have a relationship with Christ if we expect that change to permeate the way that it's supposed to. Dating is not the place to develop. We're changing gears here a little bit. Just some final thoughts. Dating is not the place to develop our boundaries. Boundaries should be developed before dating in the context of the family and the church. It is so dangerous. And anybody who's been around teenagers, if they do not have healthy boundaries and they get into a relationship, I think there's a public fact out there that will tell us. Teenage pregnancy. Somebody didn't have their boundaries established. <laughs> and there's an awful lot of them. I mean, the ratio has been horrific. They need to learn boundaries in the family and in the church and in a Christian setting. And then the purpose of dating is to practice the boundaries we have established and to look for someone who will complement my boundaries. Now, I don't want that to sound selfish, but dating is about once I know who I am, who I want to be, what God is doing in my life, then I need to find somebody who can come alongside me and do that with me. Who has the same type of burden or desire, who has the same type of ideologies, who has the same respect for boundaries that I know with down the road when it moves towards the next level, I know that they're going to respect mine. Ignorance of one another's boundaries is one of the most blatant red flags of a poor health of a dating relationship. In other words, taking advantage of the person you're dating or not thinking about their needs and only your needs. That is a blatant red flag. And especially in this day and age when you look at teenage dating, even up into young adulthood, if you were to ask most of them the purpose of dating, they'll probably say, yeah, I want to find somebody to get married. But a lot of the guys, if they're honest, they're after one thing. 
you know, they want sex. That is what the world teaches them. That is what Abercrombie and Finch and everything else out there says. Wear the skimpy thing. You'll get the guy. This is the way guys look. Build buff arms and all that, and you'll get the girls. You know, look at what commu- the media conveys to our kids. If you and I as the family do not um, help them to understand that that's not real life, they're going to live in that fantasy. Renegotiation of boundaries will follow in a dating relationship as marriage becomes the final outcome of the process. As you move along and you continue in the relationship of saying, this person seems to be going the way I'm going. I'd like this person. They like me. We have an attraction. We have an attachment. But can we move to the next level and be together the rest of our lives? Have I determined a level of honesty here that says, this person is who God wants me to marry? Because they will compliment me. They will be strong where I am weak, and I can be strong where they are weak, and together we can become a strong unit. God intended the family to be an incubator. I like that word. God intended the family to be an incubator for boundaries, in which we grow to maturity and possess the tools and the abilities we need to succeed. That was his original purpose. But sin came into the world and has sideswiped us. It's lied to us. Satan, the father of lies, has permeated that lie through the curse. Every individual from the birth day they're born has a tendency to only think about themselves because of the sin nature. Genesis 2.24 tells us that the two become one and leave their, parental wo- their parents' world to formulate their own unit. When it says that the husband and the wife, they will leave their home and go you know, become one, it's talking about the fact that their one may resemble the other both families, but it's going to be their one, their unit. Not this side of the family's unit, not this side of these unit's family. This is who God has called them to be. And there will be differences. There will be similarities, but there will be differences. But the one thing that should be true is that they've been taught a commitment to Christ to where Christ is at the center, making them the one they need to be. Second Corinthians one four tells us to comfort others with the comfort we have been comforted with the key being with the comfort you have received. Have you received the comfort of Christ's healing in your life? I mean, that really is where it all starts. You have to have that relationship with Christ and then grow in that relationship and allow him to change you from the inside out to make you the person he wants to use and one that you'll feel as a result, you will feel good about it. It's going to be scary. When I stepped out off the farm and went to Liberty, I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do, but I was scared, senseless. I can remember bawling for hours thinking, I want to go home. <laughs> Why did I come down here? It was not an easy thing, but as it moved along, that first semester was the worst. I came home, my sister and my mother sat down and refocused me and said, yeah, it's hard being away from the home. Nothing is changing here. It's the same every day. Work hard, eat, work hard, sleep, work hard. It's the same. If God's calling you somewhere, you better step out now, go through the discomfort of that change, and see what he's doing in your life. And and then my mother always brought up, and they're singing teams on Jerry Falwell's station there. You just, you look into that. And that's what I did, and then things changed when I got onto the singing team. I was able to afford it, I got a lot of 
hands-on mentoring by older men. It changed the way I thought. It changed the way I lived. And it's been different ever since. It's been very good. Everyone needs boundaries to keep them healthy so they can provide support to others when needed. That is the ultimate call of, the, of, the, of Christ. What did he say? Take care of the orphans and the widows was one of them. The other one was to love one another, to reach out. I can't love and I can't take care of anybody unless I myself have been taken care of in that relationship with Christ.